Hello, Uproom family. This is Bailey. We are so excited and honored that you're tuning in with us for this week's podcast episode. From this past Sunday, where Brian Barcelona, founder of One Voice Student Missions, shared an incredible message on the power of a father's faith. He preached on Matthew 9, verse 18, which we probably all heard this Bible story once in our lifetime before. But I can confidently say, that none of us have probably heard it in this light and with this weight, where Jesus actually partners with a father's faith for his daughter, for his dead little girl to be raised to life. And Jesus is doing the same today, where Jesus is partnering with the faith and the tears of mothers and fathers to see a generation raised to life. This is an incredible message, and I promise you, you'll never be the same. So check it out, and we hope you enjoy. Love you guys. I was looking at that dance photo thinking, man, I could never model for anything like that. <laughs> How many of y'all felt discouraged? No, I'm just playing. <laughs> I want to do something a little different. Um, you know, I, I typically have messages that God's put in my heart for years that I've preached, but today I want to share something I've never shared before, and I want to share our story and our journey. You know, Lou Ingle's been a spiritual father of mine for a long time, and he would always tell me, tell the stories, that stories build faith. Do you agree? That's why the Jews would keep retelling the story of Exodus to the next generation, believing that the same breakthrough that came in that generation would happen in the present one. And so I just want to set the record straight here. For those of you who don't know me, you don't know our crew, um, we are not TikTok stars. I know, I, I promise, I know that's been kind of branded on us. We're not Instagram famous, we're actually missionaries. I've been doing missions for 13 years here in America. A lot of our team is, that you see here, some of them have been with me going on eight, nine years. When I met them, they were in churches or back in Los Angeles or various places. And in 2020, we had the greatest interruption of our lives that we could have ever had. And it was not anything that was planned, but I learned that when God speaks, you could see it as an interruption or an invitation. And from what I was told, I'm probably sure there's going to be more record tonight of this story because I wasn't here, but that Pastor Michael was, had preached a message on Gen Z. I wasn't here at that time. And from what I've heard from him and Aaron Smith and various people was that message was kind of left on a, a hook of like, what now? I don't know if some of you guys remember that message, but he preached on Gen Z before we moved here. And here we are in this house of prayer, beyond thankful for this house. I don't know if you know, but this is a house of praise. I've never seen a rock busted out in a worship set in my life. <laughs> but when I seen it, I just said, oh, that's just, it just feels right. I don't... I know y'all were thinking the same thing too. Some of you wish you had the rock, right? You're like, why didn't I think of that? This is the house of presence. We obviously know that. I honor this house that it values presence, even in the midst of awkward silence at times. I love that this is a house that God trusts. This is a house that moves his heart. This is a house of humility. And this is where God brought us to from California. And I know some of you, you might've thought, man, we came out of nowhere. One day, the church reopened during COVID. I guess you guys were closed. And then all of a sudden, 30 missionaries show up from Los Angeles. 
We're walking around trying to meet people, new territory. And I promise what moved us here was not the gas prices. Although those were beautiful back then. It wasn't the housing market, although I could not believe what you guys were paying houses for compared to what we get in LA. In fact, I believe what moved us was you. And I'm gonna explain in a moment. The prayers and desperations that have come from this house have done more than you could ever imagine on the earth. The prayers that you pray here weekly, you have no idea the people around the world that this room is impacting. You have no idea the moment that you decide to, to lift your hands in a worship moment or you decide to, man, I'm just not gonna hold back. You have no idea that camera angle that captures that and all of a sudden someone in another state who's depressed, who's suicidal, just sees another believer on fire and their hearts are encouraged. So I wanted to share with you this morning kind of how we got here. So prior to us moving, we had a pretty sweet setup. We were based in Southern California. Now I swore that I would never leave California, that I was loyal to the soil. I swore that I would die before I left California and I swore that I would die before I ever came to Texas. Here I am, here we are. Before we, before the pandemic had shut down the world, we were reaching anywhere from 15 to 17,000 kids across America. We had just gotten blessed with the building that we were in, getting ready to plan for renovations. We were gonna start a missions base in Pasadena, California. 20,000 square foot building, roughly. Rooftop, beautiful. It was amazing. We had just bought a house, March of 2020. Talk about inconvenience, okay? And all of this, are you following me? All this is happening. And so we ended up moving into our house, and as I'm moving in boxes, my pregnant wife at the time, she's pregnant again, uh, if you don't know that. Uh, come on. <laughs> Baby girl this time. We're excited. She asked me, she goes, what do you think we're gonna have? I go, I just don't know if I can handle another girl. <laughs> it's a girl. <laughs> so, I just can't tell my daughters nothing. They just start crying all the time. I'm like, can you clean your room? Ah, I'm just like... So as, we're, as I'm moving in boxes, my wife is on the couch and she's pregnant and she says this to me. She goes, hey, uh, God asked me a question. I said, well, what did he ask you? He said, God asked me that if, we, if, if he would ask us to move, would we obey him? I said, yeah, we've obeyed him. We're moving. I just bought this house three days ago. I have boxes. We're moving in. She goes, that's not what I believe the Lord is saying. I says, well, you're not hearing God. <laughs> now, God would never tell me to get rid of the house I just bought. We just got given a building. All of this stuff is happening. Like, you're not hearing God. And very kindly, she goes, okay. And I know when Marcella says, okay, it's not a real okay. It's kind of like you're gonna get it later. Not from her, from the Lord. And so I'm sitting there and I, I, now it's stuck in my head. Why did she say that? I just, I mean, I spent every dollar I have. We just got this house and we're here. And I said, I, we're, we're not gonna move, Marcel. There's no way, like my heart is here. It's for California. This just can't be. 
Well, a week later, the world shuts down with the pandemic. Y'all remember that? Probably not. And high schools all over America shut down. And in one moment, everything I had built for a decade was shut down. In one moment. Now, at this point, I'm thinking I'm screwed because I've lived with no plan B. See, I've always lived my life eliminating plan Bs so I could only go forward with what God told me. I didn't have a backup plan. It wasn't like, man, if this mission things don't work out, maybe I'll be an ice cream man or something. There was no, there was no plan B for me. It was like, if this don't work out, I'm screwed. I have nothing else I'm gonna do. They don't even know what I'm good at. I could play guitar, that's about it. And so I'm there, I'm, I'm, I'm just going through it. Everything that we built and I'm, I'm, I'm freaking out and I'm on the couch and I'm sitting one day on the couch. And I know some of you during the pandemic, like you guys went into prayer and intercession. I went into like Pizza Pockets and Sour Patch Kids. I literally, they would send me on runs to go get emergency food and I would come home with tubs of nacho cheese. You know the youth group tub? I'd be like, what I bought? She's like, how is that gonna help us? I'm like, I don't know, but it, I'd come up with like random stuff. So I'm sitting on the couch, I'm crying, I'm going through because imagine everything you build is just, it's destroyed and I'm sitting there and she, she comes out of our room into the living room and our house was so small. So when I say she came into the living room, she just walked out of the bedroom and she's pretty much in the living room. And so we're there and she's like, hey, uh, I had a dream. I'm like, crap. <laughs> I'm like, what was your dream? So I always joke, was, was it good or was I in it, you know? <laughs> and she goes, I had this dream. I'm terrified. And I want to actually call her up here to share this dream she had. You guys give it up for Marcella. <laughs> yeah, so I have this dream. And um, in the dream, I... Um, I'm serving all these men. And I know it's like a, a, a meeting of men. And I'm serving the men food. And I start to see that the men are a little somber um, and they're sad. And I notice this one man that's on the side and he's just weeping. And I know, I know that he's like in defeat. And Reinhard Bunke walks in. You guys know who Reinhard Bunke is? <laughs> And he had, he had already passed. Um, and he walks in and he looks at the men and he starts saying, who's in charge here? With that like crazy German voice. And the men don't say anything. And then he says, who's in charge here? Nothing is said. Then he looks at the man that's weeping on the side and he looks at him and he says, you, you're in charge here get up. And the man just like sobers up in a moment and he gets up. And that was my dream. So she's, well, she left out this other part. So she's telling me this dream and I'm like, uh-huh. I'm crying with Sour Patch, kids in my hand, 29-year-old man. And she goes, you're in charge here. She goes, get up. Now I don't know if you have ever met a Salvadorian woman. <laughs> they look very sweet. <laughs> Amen. Scripts. I, I stand up. I wipe my eyes. 
I'm like, she goes, you're in charge here, now lead. Little did I know that from that day, we would see something birth that I'm gonna share in a moment with one of my friends, Aaron Custolo. We would see an online event we would do in 2020, gather about 20,000 students online. Before we get into that, I wanna just pose this question to you. Could it be, for a moment, you just whatever you're doing, just stop what you're doing. You're texting, you're swiping. Could it be that the prayers of this house interrupted a pregnant woman on her couch in Los Angeles, California, minding her own business. We had our lives set. But all of a sudden, these prayers from upper room started reaching the throne. This is how I like to imagine it. You know those prayer meetings that you feel like sometimes are a little hard to press in? He heard those. You know the ones where you're discouraged and you don't want to come because you just messed up? He heard those. You know the moments where you praise and it's so difficult? He heard those. And I had this picture this morning. I said, man, I know why we came here. Because there was a house that was contending in Dallas. And those prayers got to the father. And the father says, ah, who could I share this with? There's a pregnant woman. She loves me. And her husband, he'll obey me too. <laughs> Speaks to my wife. What if you're calling for morning, noon, and night? What if your desire for his presence actually caused a community of 30 people in the most inconvenient season to move. So finally, when I accept the reality that we're gonna move, it was actually at Cynthia's home, we decided that we were gonna go to Dallas. I said, okay, we're gonna do this. So we had to tell our team. We told all of our missionaries. Some of them loved it, some of them hated it. We said, you gotta get a word of the Lord to come. You guys go pray. We're leaving regardless. <laughs> but you go pray and you hear God. And the ones that you see here came with us. So we come here in July. We meet with the Millers. I had only known Pastor Michael maybe for a couple months. We meet with the Millers and we say we're going we're gonna to be leaving and from California here. Then we meet with one of our mentors, Nick Vujicic. And we said, hey, um, we're going to be coming out here. And he goes, when? I said, probably in about a year. And my wife says, no, we'll be here next month. I'm like, look, I, do you understand that you cannot sell a house and buy a house in three weeks? We bought and we sold in three weeks and we landed here the next month. 30 missionaries. But here was the crazy part. We didn't know why. People kept saying, why are you, why are you going to Dallas? I have no idea. Well, what's there? No idea. I have no family here. I didn't know anybody here. Why Dallas? God said it. I have this theory where if it's not a no, it's a go. It hasn't always worked, but it works sometimes. So we came here not knowing the why, but we knew what God was calling us to. Little did we know that God would land us here. And the prayers of this house, I believe, would launch what we're believing for in this next decade. 
Psalms 145 moment. If you don't understand the heart behind what's happening in this house or even with Gen Z for Jesus or proclaiming, it is a Psalms 45 moment. It's one generation that commends the works of God to the next. Do you understand that if there's no commending of God's works to the next generation, that generation has no idea who God is? Do you, do you understand that? Like, like what you guys are proclaiming here is Psalms 145. You, are, you, you have given permission in this generation for people to radically go after God. The type of worship that you guys are releasing, you are giving permission for people to not be stale. And just say, well, that's my Enneagram. Upper room eliminates Enneagrams during worship. It eliminates whatever personality type you have. Because when gratitude becomes so large, it's expressed with your body. It's expressed with your shouts. It's expressed with your praise. And when I look at this generation and the, and the, and the assault on their faith and their identity that they are facing today, it's nothing new. Every generation that had assault on their generation in the Bible, even the spirit of death, you look at Moses with Pharaoh, Esther with Haman, and Jesus with Herod. What's the common theme? There's a deliverer that comes from those generations. Do you wonder why there was a full-out assault on the identity of this generation? Because maybe Gen Z and Gen Alpha is a generation of deliverers. Maybe where you've proclaimed the works of God, their generation will take the next one into freedom. This is why you cannot stop shouting and you cannot stop praising. I wonder what the devil fears so much about this generation. And if we're honest in this room, most of us, not all of us, but most of us could probably trace our salvation to somebody who took responsibility of your life in prayer. For me, it was my grandma. My grandma is one of those crazy, charismatic grandmas. Praise in tongues till three in the morning, puts oil on everything. I don't even know if it's real anointing oil. I swear it's Crisco. Cause she cheap. She'd be putting oil on the doorpost, on my shoes, trying to put it on my friends. That was my grandma. And you knew when my grandma was serious when she'd pray for me before I was a Christian because of two things. Number one, her hand would be oily. And two, you knew it was real when her hand started shaking. How many of you ever seen those Pentecostal grandma hands? You're like, oh snap, there's no escaping, right? <laughs> my grandma played the tambourine like no other. Offbeat. And she always carried those grandma candies in her purse, the ones that have no name brand. The strawberry one, you know what I'm talking about? Some of you grandmas got those right now, we know. If you do, just pass it along to someone next to you, okay? And the butterscotch, I'm sorry, the butterscotch candy as well. That's real. That was my grandma. You know, when I was a baby, she told me this story where she grabbed my hands and she anointed them. I was probably maybe one and a half, two years old, and she said, God, use him when he's older 
accuse him. I come from a really broken family. None of my godliness is from my father. He doesn't serve God, nor does my grandfather. All of the spiritual inheritance that I have has come from spiritual ones. Do you understand the significance of fathering someone that doesn't have your blood? No, I don't think you do. I really don't think you do. You know, Jesus, he could really relate to a, to a kid today. He had a teenage mom and a stepdad. There was a man who had to get over the fact that his wife was impregnated by God and then father that kid whom did not have his blood in his veins. But because Joseph chose to do that, Jesus did not just get grafted into the line of David because of his mother, but he was also grafted into the line of David because of his stepdad. There is a spiritual lineage that is owed to a generation, and it's only going to come if you father people that aren't your blood. Because if you don't, let me tell you something, if you don't, they have no chance. I would have no chance had I not had the fathers that came alongside of me and said, oh, you are really messed up. You are really jacked up. You don't listen to nobody. That was me. You're rebellious. You got an attitude. It's only some people you're discipling. But God, God's in you. I see it. I mean, it's deep down in there, but we're going to get them out, you know? <laughs> we can trace our salvations to these people who took responsibility for us in prayer, in fasting. Maybe for you it was your mom. Maybe for you it was your mom that would come. My wife tells me that her mom, when she would come home, if you don't mind me sharing, coming home from the clubs. That was before me, of course. She would come home for the, from the clubs and her mom would walk in and put on Hillsong in her room. Who wants to listen to Hillsong with a hangover? And her, mom would, and her mom would be putting oil on everything too. And her mom would look at Marcelo and she would come drunk and she'd say, it's not who you are. It's not who you are. Oh, you think you want to hear that at 21? It's not who you are. It's not who you are. Maybe it was your father who just took you out for ice cream and loved you and showed you God. Maybe it was your grandfather it was just this righteous man. I don't know who it was. Maybe it was a friend. But something happens when we take responsibility for people that aren't necessarily related to us. You know, when I read the Bible and the Gospels, I've noticed so many different people that followed Jesus from masses of crowds. Have you read that before? Have you read that before? Massive crowds followed him all the way to the disciples. You have the woman with the issue of blood. You have the blind man that's saying, son of David, have mercy on me. You have the guy that's being lowered through the roof. I would be so angry if someone cut a hole in my roof. There was great desperation for these people to follow Jesus like we've never seen. There were so many people that came to Jesus for healing, for his words of wisdom. So many people that wanted to get around this rabbi, this teacher. One of the first times there was someone in their time that actually spoke with authority. 
There were many people that followed after Jesus. But did you know in the Bible, from what I've read, there was only one person that Jesus followed. And it wasn't just his father. This individual had a couple traits about him. Number one, he was desperate. His options had run out. No religious leader could solve the issue that he had at the time. He could no longer put his security in his position as a synagogue official. This man could no longer depend upon the praise of someone next to him or upon the Torah being read. All options were lost and the only thing this man had left was tears. You following me? I think we don't give our tears enough credit. I think that tears is some of the greatest currency as believers that we can carry. How many of you hate crying? I get it. But tears is what moves the heart of God. Can I read the Bible? I'm gonna do it anyways. Matthew 9, verse 18. It says, while he was saying these things to them, a synagogue official came and bowed down before him and said, my father or my, my daughter has just died. You following me? Okay. Now, I don't know about you, but if my daughter, Zoe, or Everlease had died, I don't think that I would come collectively. Hey, Jesus, um, my daughter just died. That would not be me. I would be hyperventilating. I would have snot everywhere. I would be weeping so hard, my head would be hurting and my eyes would be burning. You fathers in the room, could you imagine if you lost your daughter? If you've lost your daughter, you know the pain. There's a synagogue official in Matthew 9 that comes and he falls at the feet of Jesus. You following me? He's out of options. And he begins to weep to him. And he says, while he was saying these things, behold, the synagogue official came and bowed down before him. My daughter has just died. Then he says this, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. Next verse. And Jesus got up from that table and began to follow him. He began to follow him. Are you following me? Are you following me? I don't know if you want to get that. I could answer it for you if you want. Jesus began to follow him. This man could no longer lead on his positions or his, his titles. He forfeited it all. I mean, do you know what it was like to be a synagogue official back then and get on your knees to Jesus? You've now forfeited your welcome back into your synagogue because this man was a blasphemous sinner, according to them. The moment he bowed, he gave up his title and his position as synagogue official, and he took the only position that mattered, which was father. Because a synagogue official can't get on his knees, but a father can. These religious leaders and their pride standing on their street corners to get 
praise for men. And here this guy says, I don't care about any of that because the greatest title I carry is a dad. Will you come and lay your hand on my daughter so she will live? Jesus gets up and he begins to follow him. And I had this thought when I read this. I said, man, what if the father wouldn't have cried? What if he would have even worse accepted this reality as God's will? And you may say, oh man, story would have been written a little bit differently. Well, I want to pose the same question to you this morning. What if you don't weep for this generation? What if you accept the reality that this generation is going to hell and that's just it? I wonder how many young people will remain dead in their faith. I wonder how many young people will remain dead and never experience the life that Jesus has for them. Because when I've read the Bible, I know that it's not God's will that any man should perish eternally. It is not God's will. When you see the things that are happening all over the news, when you see all the stuff that's going on amongst young people, do you not see the biggest target today is kids? No, no, no. Do you not see that? Do you not realize that they are going after the minds of this generation? Do you realize that they want to form the identity that they take instead of letting it come from the very one that created them? Parents, they want to take your job. Hey, dads, they want to take your job. Hey, moms, they want to take your job. Hey, Gen Z, millennials, they want to take your brother and sister's identities. Do you see how no one here is, is excused from not standing in the gap for this generation? I was listening to a prophetic word that I got right before 20, for the pandemic in 2020. Now I joke around and say, if you went to a prophetic conference in 2019, you should get a refund. Because ain't no one told us what was coming. And if they said greater days ahead, you should get double back. Oh, I just see double 2020. Double just going to be a blessed year. You liars. At least one. I guarantee you there was like one guy that said it, but he was like probably in the back of a barn and no one listened to him. We should, we should go find that guy and bring him to all, our, all of our events. I got this word and it was about how God was taking me from being a Nathaniel under a tree to a trumpet. When I stand before you, I want you to understand that I'm not new to reaching young people. I've been doing it for 13 years since I was 18. When I was 18 years old, God spoke to me. I was at a youth camp. And he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start something in the, with the youth. I'm going to do something in the youth of this nation. I'm going to save high schools through your life. I'm crying. And I'm like, you have the wrong guy. I can't even clean my room. Like, I'm not your dude. It's hard for me to listen to my mom still. Like, I'm 18. And I was on the, on the rug yesterday, weeping last night. And I was telling God, oh, you are not a liar. <laughs> I was telling God, I don't, I've never seen you, but I believe in you. I said, I don't hear you all the time. Someone's like, do you hear God all the time? No. He told me something 13 years ago. I did the same thing. 
Some of you are waiting for another prophetic word in these charismatic circles. This is, if this is not good enough for you, then come on. I don't hear God, then read your Bible out loud. I don't feel God. He's right there. Someone's going to splice it up on YouTube and make some video out of that. It's already begun. They're editing right now as we speak. I spent years trying to trumpet. Hey guys, there's kids in schools that need God. Then I'm going to go. I would go into schools. I remember this one school I would preach at. This was a school where the Bible club was 600 kids a week in California. And you would say, wow, that is so successful. What you don't know is I used to preach there on Wednesdays and every Tuesday night I would go to the school at night and I knew the security guard. He was an Asian man. His last name was Keys. I'm not kidding. Keys. So I would ask him, hey, Keys, can, can you let me in? I just want... Because he would have to finish up for like another hour. So I just want to pray. Yeah, come on in. I go in and I would lay in the dirt in front of the theater where I would preach the next day. And I would weep for souls. And I would say, God, save kids tomorrow, please. I don't have any fancy sound systems. I mean, I didn't have any lights. I had a microphone on a janky speaker. I mean, when I would talk loud, it would get distorted. That was my gospel presentations. And hundreds of kids would get saved. Why? Because I took responsibility for young people in a generation that wasn't mine. I didn't birth any of those kids. I didn't create how jacked up they are. I didn't abandon them and walk out on them. But just because I didn't cause a problem doesn't mean I was not going to be their solution. Because I carried the antidote to their generation, which was Jesus Listen, you're going to do two things this morning. You're going to tune out or you're going to tune in. You're going to lean back or you're going to lean in. There's no other options this morning. This is not a condemning word. This is a word of encouragement that your generation needs you. Your generation so needs you. And there is a different narrative that God has for this generation. I want to invite Aaron up for a moment. There is a different narrative that I believe God is saying from his throne for this generation. I believe now more than ever, are you listening? Now more than ever, if you are positioned here in Dallas, we are gonna see an incredible move of God. But I believe unlike past revivals, this one will be unique because at the helm of this move of God is gonna be families. I was with Marcus Burnett when he came for the recording last year. We had lunch with him and I had this vision and I said, I have this vision of like this village of young of, of kids and this army is coming to slaughter this village and the last line of defense is moms and dads and they're linking arms. And I know some of you might say, man, I'm not a mom and dad. I'm, I'm 18. I'm 19. I'm 21. Doesn't mean you can't carry a father's heart. I'm the oldest of six. I understand what it was like to have to parent my siblings because of the brokenness of our family. But I believe that there's a different narrative that is being spoken over this generation. 
And I actually want to share, I want Aaron to share his story of what he heard the Lord say in 2020, of what catalyzed us even dreaming for Gen Z. I'm a millennial. Any millennials here? Raise your hand. Do you ever remember people in our generation saying, come on, millennials, millennials for God. They were like, you suck. You're narcissistic. Everything bad in the world is because of you. I don't want to do that to the next generation. Aaron, will you share for a moment? Yeah. Man, aren't you guys so thankful for Brian? Man, Brian, I love you so much, man. What, what Brian is sharing with us is the, is the heart of Jesus. And I, I think what, what, he, what he shared out of that story with Jairus touches me so deeply. Because Jairus, you know, it, when we read in the, in the Luke 8, it's the, it's, same, it's the same account as the Matthew 9. We find out that this girl is 12 years old and it's his only daughter. And, uh, and while Jairus was on the way to, with Jesus to his house to see this miracle, some messengers come from Jairus's house and they say, hey, it's too late, Jairus. Like, hey, it's, it's too late. Don't bother the teacher any longer. And, I, I, and Jesus does this incredible thing that just grips me. He, he looks at Jairus and he says, don't be afraid, only believe. Because that lie of don't bother the teacher any longer, that is from the pit of hell. There are a million things in life that are going to pop up to tell you why try to father and mother the next generation. Why take the time? It's too late. You know, it's funny what Brian says about millennials because I remember there was this Barna study that was released that said up to 96% of millennials had left the church. And I remember as a millennial, it felt like I got socked in the gut. It felt like, oh, like we've blown it. Like, my generation, like 96%, like what? And you know, as a youth pastor, I would, uh, as I, as I would, I was a youth pastor for about 10 years. And, uh, one day I was, I was praying and I was praying how I often would for Gen Z. I would pray. I was just, I would just pray stuff like, Oh God, Gen Z so messed up, so broken, so jacked up. Would you just fix them? You know, I was staring at all the negative statistics. He could spout them off about the suicide rates and the increase of depression and, and violence in schools and all this stuff. And I would just, in this one day, the presence of God came and fell on me. And I, and I got sucked into a vision and I saw this blazing Z right in front of my face. I don't know if any of you guys ever get weird, talk about visions and stuff. This is upper room, so I feel like I'm allowed to share this kind of stuff here. But there's this blazing, like if you guys seen the mask of Zorro, where it's like, you know, it was like that times 10, this blazing Z in front of my face. And then I, and then I knew, I, I, I saw the father on his throne, like out of the side as this blazing Z was right here. And I heard this thundering voice. Generation Z is mine. Generation Z is mine. And it thundered. 
And I just laid on the ground and wept and wept and wept. And I suddenly realized that my prayer life was not connected to what was in the heart of the Father. That my heart was not connected to what God was saying on his throne about this generation. You know, Gen Z matters too much to God for us to just write them off as a statistic. The high schools of America matter too much to God for us to just write them off as a statistic. I imagine Jairus in his day probably could have quoted the early mortality rates and how often people died at an early age because of medicine and, and it not being that advanced in that day. But, but he was a father. And you know what I realized as I heard the thundering voice of God shouting over Gen Z? I realized either I am going to get into agreement with that heart or I'm going to find myself on the outside of what God is wanting to do. Like Brian said, either we're going to lean in or we're going to lean back. Because when Jesus showed up to the house with Jairus, what did he do? You see, there's two types of weeping. There's the one that makes a commotion that's all about a show, that's just the tradition of what we do, but it's disconnected from the heart of God. And when Jesus showed up at the house, everybody that was just weeping and making a commotion, he put out of the house. But there's a type of weeping like Brian's talking about where the father, where Jairus came and he fell down at the feet of Jesus and he said, my daughter is dying. If you come, she'll live. Can you imagine the ridicule that Jairus took as he watched Jesus kick out his relatives, probably some fellow synagogue leaders, maybe even some students, who knows who all got kicked out of the house. But Jesus took the father and the mother and his three closest disciples into the upper room where this 12-year-old girl was lying. And he pulled her up out of death back into life. And I just feel today as Brian is sharing, my heart is just being stirred. Mothers and fathers and young people, you are needed. I can imagine what happened in the heart of scholars say John the Beloved was maybe, maybe as young as 12 years old. I can imagine what was happening in little John's heart as he watches a girl the same age as him pulled back out of death into life by Jesus. I just feel like Jesus, the same thing that he was doing with Jairus, where he said, listen, you're hearing it's too late. The messengers are here to say she's dead. It's too late. Don't bother me any longer. But Jesus is saying, no, bother me. No, like, don't be afraid. Don't shrink back. Only believe what you felt at first when you were weeping at my feet, saying, come, hold on to that. Because Jesus is pressing through the crowd to, to lay a hold of this girl. She's not dead. She's just sleeping. That's what he says. And so that's, that, that, uh, that encounter that I had with the Lord sparked this idea. And I reached out to Brian and I was like, dude, what if we do this thing called Gen Z for Jesus? Instead of saying all the, like, what if we do something that's connected to the heart of God, what he's thundering from his throne? Like, what better thing could we say about Gen Z that you're for Jesus? Gen Z, you belong to Jesus. 
And so, like Brian mentioned, we did this prayer day, and I love Brian because he was like, let's do it. Like, uh, even with a cheesy name like Gen Z for Jesus, I feel kind of dumb. Like, what do we, like Gen Z for what? You know? But here's the thing. There's so much significance when we connect our hearts to the heart of God. And that's what you guys are doing morning, noon, and night here in this room. It's moving heaven and it's moving earth. And I don't know if you're going to share about the stadium or if we're going to go into a prayer moment, but you stay here. We're going to end this morning a little different. Being a son of Lou... I've learned the power of taking the focus off of one man burning and putting it on a whole room that burns. I know what it's like to get dropped a word that you don't immediately connect to. But all of a sudden you start getting with God and your heart connects in a way like you've never dreamed. You know, when I went into high schools at first, I thought, well, I'm going to I'm going to see God transform many lives through, through my life and my yes. Little did I know that those kids would change my life. That when I would witness drug addicts get free, when I would witness gang members leave their gangs, I remember there would be times they would grab their rags, their red and blue rags, and throw them on the ground. I remember this one time I brought this ex-pimp to preach. We were in the hood, so... And he comes and he's altar called. There's about 700 kids in this gymnasium. We're in one of the worst schools. There's, there's shootings in front of the school. Gang infested campus in Sacramento. And this was his altar call. He goes, bring the garbage cans. I'm like, man, where's this going? Kill the stream, you know? They bring garbage cans. He goes, the gospel is not for punks or chumps. I'm like, but God loves you all still too, right? He goes, listen. He goes, the gospel ain't for no punks and chumps. He goes, you can't have God in your weed. You can't have God in your condom. You can't have God in your gang. You can't have God in your weapons. If you want God, then you trash the things that have trashed your life. I'm like, dude, what's going to happen? 600 kids. Hold on, hold on. Stand at their feet. Cigarettes, condoms, knives, bandanas, needles begin to fill garbage cans. We had to hire the police department for this event because it was such a bad school. But because it was an event, they were safe to do that. They weren't going to get charges or nothing. And the cops were like this. I refuse to talk about these stories as monuments and museums. I think that we have been so afraid with cancel culture. I'm gonna say it. We have been afraid of opinions. We have watered down the gospel so bad, it's like bad Kool-Aid. It's effective for nothing. And I believe this morning, boldness is gonna fill your hearts. 
I did an event one time in a school in Northern California, and I did this event on 420. And my logo was green. And all these kids were like, why would we go to this Jesus event? We're gonna go blaze it up. We're gonna get high. I said, I'll make you a deal. So you come into this room, said, if you're gonna go smoke, I can't stop you, but you're gonna have the munchies after. And you're gonna be hungry. So why don't you just come into this little meeting I'm gonna do? See what happens. Because what you don't understand is you're smoking the creation. When there's a bigger high you can get from the creator. Because the Bible says that God is the most. said, so you actually don't get high, you just get loaded. I've had kids come up to me, why? I'm, I'm, I'm a part of Wicca. I worship trees. I said, why? I could introduce you to the one who spoke those out of his mouth. Why am I telling you this? Because Generation Z and Generation Alpha doesn't need a dead religion. It doesn't need a powerless gospel. You remember that gospel that changed you? Remember when you were strung out on drugs, when you were addicted to things? Remember that gospel? Remember the one that pulled my buddy Shane, who went to war and probably had some mental things he was battling, got freedom in a moment? Remember that gospel that took my buddy Andy from doing things he wasn't supposed to in Los Angeles? The gospel that took Camille? from a life of debauchery and craziness into freedom and holiness. You remember that gospel? Why are you afraid to preach it? Why are you afraid to preach it? Why? It's not politically correct. It never will be. It never will be. I want to pray with you this morning, but I don't want to pray for you. I want you to pray with me. And I believe there's going to be a flame restored to your hearts this morning. There's going to be a cry restored to your hearts this morning. I really do. And if it's hard to connect right now, let me tell you something. If it's hard for you to connect, I want to just say this. You are forgiven of your sin. I feel like there are some of you in here that it's hard to connect because you feel like, why would God want to connect with me? The gospel's for you too. You failed, you messed up. Grace is available for you this morning. Stop walking defeated. Christians are the only army that kill their wounded. Stop killing the people that are weaker. Help them. Love covers a multitude of sin. And if you can't love people within the church, how will you ever love a generation outside of it? One more story. I was in a school. This was when I first my first year preaching. Before we had gyms filled, it was a classroom. I was preaching in the science class that I failed the year before. That was the teacher, the only one that would help me. And preaching, there's maybe seven kids inside of the classroom. This is before there was anything. Seven kids, and in walked these punk rockers, dressed in black, gothic, emo hair. Y'all remember? 
and they sit down and I hear the Lord say the oddest thing to me. He says, stop preaching and pray. And I said, that's a dumb idea. These kids aren't even saved. I'm literally having a conversation. He says, stop preaching and pray. I said, okay. I said, all right, guys, I'm going to just pray for you and we'll see what happens. I start praying. I keep my eyes closed because I don't want to be humiliated. And all of a sudden I hear this weeping that starts happening from one of the chairs. I open one eye and it's this girl that had come in. Little did I know those kids had come in to challenge me that day. And they ended up encountering God. This girl that encounters God, her name was Brooklyn. Brooklyn begins to weep uncontrollably. The power of God touches her in this classroom. Over the next year, Brooklyn would walk around with her Bible preaching the gospel. Why? Because I refuse to let a rock take my place. Do you realize that there is an appointed time that every man and woman in here will die? It's good news. Do you know that you will not live forever here? Do you know that? No, do you really know that? Well, you know it. Do you live like it? Do you actually live like today could be your last? If all of you knew today was your last day, who would you share the gospel with? How many young people would you go and just say, oh, I know you're making really bad choices, but there is a God. Let me tell you about salvation. Will you stand with me? Here's what we're going to do. Can we move this? This is possible. Thank you guys so much. Here's what I want to do. In Malachi 4.6, you could see. Stay with me here. Stay with me here. In Malachi 4.6, you could see that there's a scripture that talks about the hearts of the fathers turning to the children. And I wanted to do something for a moment. If you're a father or a mother, just raise both hands and keep them up. Keep them up. Okay. Here's what we're going to do. Together, we're going to declare this to this generation. You ready? We're going to say, we are here. I come from a divorced family. I had a disconnected father most of my life. Do you know what I would have done if a father would have came at a young age and says, hey, I'm here. Just where you're at, could you just pray that out? Just with actually opening up your mouth, just say, we are here. Respond to this generation prophetically that's gonna turn. Come on, say, we are here. Come on, moms and dads, say, we are here. Put your hands down. If you are a millennial, a Gen Zer, raise your hand. If you're not a parent, raise your hand. We're gonna do something prophetically for your generation too. Come on, keep both hands raised. You're gonna say this, we need you. How many of you know there's nothing more pleasing to a parent's ears when they hear their kid, hey, I need you. When my daughter comes in and says, Daddy, I, I need help. Could you pray this on behalf of your generation? Because we believe 
that on September 3rd, there'll be 15,000 young people, mothers and fathers that'll say, we are here. We need you. Will you pray this? Say, young people say, we need you. Okay, we're gonna say it again so these mom and dads can hear. Because they don't think that, they, they don't think you actually need them. They think they're disqualified. They think they're too old. They think they're not relevant. In your own words, could you tell them right now by how loud you are, we need you, how much you need them? Come on, tell them again. Those watching online, tell them again, young people. Can we all just lift our hands? And we're gonna pray Korean style. If you don't know what that is, it's where we all pray at the same time. With everything inside of you, all.